Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? It's fine, beautiful Thursday morning. I am Ellie Shapiro. You're listening to the Morning Mix live. Realtalkisrael.co.il. <clears throat> and as always, there's lots to talk about. This morning, unfortunately, I was trying to prepare yesterday's broadcast and time got ahead of me. I want to, I want to present what's going on right now. I always try to present things in a different, a different light than how you'll hear on other programs. I don't just want to be another voice out there. I want to try to be uh, unique, do something different. So I want to try to present the impeachment, the sham impeachment proceedings that are going on right now with some um, not background, but um, I forget the word I'm looking for right now, but to, to give some, to give some context, some context. You see, the impeachment is just like everything else. It's the honest truth. It's like the virus. It's like the war on free speech. You're either on one side or the other. And what's amaz- what amazes me is that even intellectuals in independent fields, a field where they have ex- ex- expertise, they recognize the lie in their industry but they fail to see how it applies, let's say, to others. So, first off, let's let's discuss this impeachment. Okay, you know, you know the uh, Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz has once again put himself out there. He's been very vocal about just how much of a of a scam this impeachment is, and and. Uh, Look, he has nothing to lose ultimately, but nonetheless, it takes courage. It takes courage. I say he's nothing to lose only in the sense that he's lost everything he's already had to lose. He's an estab- he's established himself, and uh, unfortunately, even despite everything, they've come after him for. I don't. I don't buy into the allegations against him. We're not getting into that now. I just. I think that they're you know part of the left's ta- the left's tactics, but it takes courage. It takes courage to to, to do what he's done. Uh, that being said, that being said, it is it is Dershowitz who we're going to be quoting a lot. It's not just it's not just Dershowitz. It's also Robert Barnes. They've they've said very similar things. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Viva Fry has also different views here, but but I'm I'm going to quote primarily Alan Dershowitz. So. The the uh, impeachment, the impeachment from the left here, the impeachment that they have is is built on the argument that the president incited a an insurrection, and therefore all the violence that occurred at the Capitol about a month ago was directly a result of the president. Now, it's very important to understand that's the argument. It's directly a result. When it comes to incitement, when it comes to incitement, there's a term. There's a term when it comes to incitement. It's called imminent unlawful incitement. Imminent unlawful incitement. What's imminent unlawful incitement? It means that the 
what I am saying is going to cause in, to incite somebody imminently. You know, in, in, in halacha, we have something called hasra. Person has to warn somebody. There are there are definitions, you know, halachic legal definitions as to what it, what is what determines uh, adequate warning. If a person was warned and then an hour later they committed the crime, it's not called adequate warning. It has to be imminent. They have to commit a crime imminently. I'm not getting into exactly how long, but the idea is that it has to be imminent. So there's a famous case. There's a famous case out of uh, that the Supreme the Supreme Court ruled on called the Brandenburg test. It was back in 1969, Brandenburg versus Ohio. It was a landmark decision of the United States Supreme Court interpreting the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. The, the court held that the government cannot punish inflammatory speech unless unless that speech is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. So specifically, the court struck down Ohio's criminal syndicalism statute because the statute broadly prohibited the mere advocacy of violence. This is coming out of the uh, out of the um, Wikipedia. Okay, so it was a nine to nothing decision, nine zero. So every single member of the Supreme Court voted that the First Amendment protects this speech. The Brandenburg test was established in Brandenburg versus Ohio, 395, U.S. 444, 1969, to determine when inflammatory speech intending to advocate illegal action can be restricted. The speech is directed to inciting and producing imminent lawless action. I'm going to repeat this because this is the, this is the definition. It has to be directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action, and the speech is likely to incite or produce such action. I'll give you a little background. Who was Brandenburg? Clarence Brandenburg was a KKK leader in rural Ohio, contacted a reporter at a Cincinnati television station and invited him to cover a KKK rally that would take place in Hamilton County in the summer of 1964. Portions of the rally were filmed, showing several men in robes and hoods, some carrying firearms, first burning a cross, and then making speeches. One of the speeches made reference to the possibility of revengeance against the uh, racial term for blacks, Jews, and those who supported them, and also claimed that our president, our Congress, our Supreme Court, continues to suppress the white Caucasian race and announced plans for a march on, a, on on Congress to take place on the 4th of July. Another speech advocated for the forced expulsion of African Americans to Africa and, Jew, and Jewish Americans to Israel. Well, that's uh, we're not getting into why they would send them to Israel. Israel's not necessarily a Jewish state, but we're not getting into that. Uh, we're also not going to, as you notice, we don't say that word simply because even if you say the word in context, this week the uh, New York Times... Uh, a writer, someone writing for the New York Times, was retroactively canceled and all of and all of its implications simply because they were using that word in context, not obviously as a racial slur. So we don't use that word. But putting all that aside, this is what he said. So he was, if there was, if there was inflammatory speech that could have incited riots, and yet, even though they were carrying firearms and fire first burning across. 
that was not considered that was not considered incitement and was protected speech under the first amendment now you know you'll have you'll have people who'll argue let's say that this is a political trial and not and not a criminal trial and therefore it doesn't have the protection of the first amendment that's the argument okay that is let's you know that's let's say one argument says says Alan Dershowitz 144 legal constitutional scholars have signed a letter stating any First Amendment defense raised by DJT's attorneys would be legally frivolous. What does it mean, legally frivolous? So, for those of us who are not or are not attorneys, who are not lawyers, we might not appreciate this idea of legally frivolous. Says Alan Dershowitz. Legally frivolous means the argument can't be made ethically. That means that they would be subject to disbarment or other disciplinary actions. Legally frivolous is basically the worst thing you could say about a lawyer to attribute to him a legally frivolous argument. Is a serious, serious, it's not just, you know, it's not just an allegation, it is a serious allegation. So, the first question is, why, 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 why can't the legal scholar or jurist just be wrong? Why do they have to claim that he's legally that it's a legally frivolous argument? Why do they have to use that terminology? The answer is, says Alan Dershowitz, they want to chill advocacy. They want to influence the adversarial process. By persuading decent lawyers that they can't make a valid and constitutionally permissible argument, they want to hurt free speech. Says the letter, no reasonable scholar or jurist would offer these arguments. Well, says Alan Dershowitz, he believes that 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 sentence is focused to him. Harvard professor of 50 years, wrote 47 books, litigating 25 of the most important First Amendment cases in the last half a century. And he's won. Many, many cases. And that's not, that's putting aside all the other cases and, and, and defendants, celebrities and such that he has defended and litigated for. So the fact that they're going to say that he is not a jurist or a constitutional scholar. I mean, I, and I, I want to say something that I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. It's 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 a, it's a sad it's a sad thought when you think that a mind like this could have devoted himself to our our holy Torah to learn to learn Torah. He could have devoted himself, and unfortunately, he became. He became one of the greatest legal minds of the 21st century. Okay. Yeah. No question. But who knows what he could have, who knows what Avi Dershowitz could have been had he remained Avi Dershowitz as he was known as a, as a boy and unfortunately not strayed. This is a man who's written a book, I believe, defending intermarriage. When I think when his boys went off, when his boys married out, I'm pretty sure that he wrote a book about, about, you know, basically defending it. That's what you know. I'm not. I'm not going to say his his uh, his values align everywhere. Everywhere, you know. We we discussed uh, his last week his 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 uh, argument to get the rabbis out of the out of the the government. We might both have a, we might both agree that that should be a, that would be a good idea, but for different reasons. 
That's the honest truth for different reasons. But nonetheless, you know, he's not, he, it's, it's, it's a sad thought. It's a sad thought to think about how, what a, what a loss, what a loss he was. What a loss he was. Regardless, regardless, I want to play a clip actually. No, you know, let's, let's continue this first. So young lawyers who appear before hiring committees. So this is how he's going to explain why it's going to chill advocacy, why it's going to influence the adversarial process. Young lawyers who appear before hiring committees will not be hired if they're not reasonable. The message to them is loud and clear. If you are going to be cited for using a frivolous argument, you're finished. So, so, so somebody like Alan Dershowitz, like I said, he, he doesn't have that much to lose. He, he's at the end of his career. He's now in podcasting. But somebody who's young, they got to be afraid. They're going to come after them. And on the contrary, you know, if he holds that if you were to not argue the First Amendment, then you would not be zealous, zealously advocating for your client. And that should be should be subject to disciplinary action. Now, part of the background for Alan's claims are that are a number a number of different a number of, a number of different factors. One is that Madison, you have to understand how the impeachment was supposed to the concept of impeachment. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of of arguments discussing um, impe- uh, discussing uh, impeachment. What exactly was the intention? You know, the word and term impeachment came from, from, from the British. There's a lot, a lot to discuss about that. And I'm not, I'm not going to really, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play both sides here to explain what the different, what the different uh, claims are as to, as to how it can be used now. It can't be used now. I'm not going to do that now. Maybe another time, not right now. But, but nonetheless, Madison wanted the president to be a strong position, not like a parliamentary system whereby one vote can oust the prime minister, their leader. He didn't want that. So the idea that, oh, well, in England, you can oust, a, you can use impeachment. There are many, there are many ideas that America borrowed, but didn't borrow in their entirety. The president in his cabinet and his executive branch, everybody serves him. He can fire anybody at the, at his, at, at, just by, just because he doesn't like the tie they wear. You have to understand that. Whenever people were saying, oh, the president is fired this way. Yes, the president can fire anybody in the executive branch. The, the, the independence of the executive branch was not supposed to be that it was controlled by Congress. That is the design of it. As the old line goes, America's a republic if you can keep it. It is not a parliamentary system. So the idea, the idea that we should we should, just because impeachment was used in England in a certain way doesn't mean that that's how it's designed to be used in America. If Dershowitz would write a book today about this second impeachment, he would call it Hamilton's Nightmare. Because in Federal 65, Hamilton described his biggest fear was that impeachment would be brought based on how many votes you have. So this explains... Why a impeachment is not like the British just because you'll hear that you're going to hear that from different people. Oh, it's just like the British and the British would use it to, to, to even after President left office, America does, did not do, when it borrowed the term impeachment, it did not borrow it. And with all, with all of its, with, with the entire, with all of its implications, it's just, just the, the same way that, that England used it. That is not the way that America is using it. And there are many exam, and there are many arguments to make for this. Okay. 
Fine. So that is one argument. The second argument that you'll hear, um, and this was the person who's advocating for the House for for the for, for in favor of the impeachment House manager, uh, Jamie Raskin, who Dershowitz is is was his was his teacher. You know, it's a Rebbe Talmud relationship there, and he graded him A minus. I'm going to play a clip here. I'm going to play a clip here where Dershowitz is is grading him. Dershowitz is talking, and we're going to explain exactly what he says. But Dershowitz is talking about um about Jamie Raskin, and he's talking about the arguments in in favor of impeachment. So let's listen. All we have is a provision of the Constitution, which is as clear as it can be. The president, not a president, not a former president, the president and all civil officers shall be removed from office on impeachment and conviction. The president. How can it be any clearer than that? Congress has no authority to try anyone but the president, vice president, and all civil officers. If you have any doubt what that means, listen to James Madison, the father of the Constitution, who said in Federalist 37, you have to be a sitting president. Impeachment only operates if you're in office. It doesn't operate once you've left the sunk, the sole function of impeachment is to remove. Once you've been removed, you can also be disqualified, but you can't be disqualified unless you're first removed. The constitutional provision is so clear. Jamie Raskin, my former student, made a very strong emotional pitch, talked about his family in the Capitol. Uh, I felt very sympathetic uh, toward him, and I'm sure the senators did as well. But his substantive argument just failed to convince. Oh, it convinced. 56 senators, that doesn't mean it was right. The president uh, can't be impeached once he leaves office. Congress acted above the law. Congress simply didn't feel bound by the text of the Constitution. And the text of the Constitution governs. And you don't resolve doubts in favor of broadening the power of Congress in impeachment. You resolve them by narrowing the power. That's the... Okay, he's going to explain something right now. I want to just let make a differentiation. So now he's going to before we explain why where the failure in, in the in the argument for impeachment is. Now he's going to explain something um, where where if there's a doubt, it goes in the favor of the defendant. That's the principle of lenity that operates whenever punitive sanctions uh, are in existence. The principle of lenity says when there are two plausible constructions, you always use the one more favorable to the person who is being prosecuted, impeached, punished in any possible way. And so even if there were doubts in what the Constitution means and the doubts that the uh, House managers say grow out of another provision of the Constitution that says judges in cases of impeachment, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to remove from office and, not or, and disqualification to hold further office. So once you've removed, you can disqualify, but you can't disqualify somebody who hasn't been removed, who's already out of office. Otherwise, you could go after Nikki Haley. Okay, so there you have it. So this is, you know, if you hear somebody, you hear somebody talking about this, you know, we want to make sure people are a little bit more informed. The way that the Constitution is written is that once a person has been convicted and removed... Then there can be a disqualification. 
the president is no longer president. So if he it cannot be removed, then he cannot be disqualified. That is the point. So Jamie Raskin, he he graded him an A plus, an A minus, simply because he gave him a you know he was very sympathetic and he was able to move different senators to vote. But let's be honest here, those senators are voting part partisan. Even the never Trumpers that voted there, yeah, come on, those those senators, um, you have you have um from Nebraska, you know you have uh, what's his name? Oh my goodness, it just escaped me the name. Um, um, my goodness, this is just annoying me. Um, oh my goodness, Ben Sass. Boy. Ben Sass from Nebraska. He didn't. He didn't vote for the president in 2016. He didn't even vote for him in 2020. Do you think he's going to stop himself from? Oh, because he cares so much about the Constitution. I know he talks like he cares about the Constitution. He, he talks like he does. He didn't even vote for him in 2020. I I don't know for the life of me why this guy wasn't primaried out. Now he's six more years. What a disgrace! What a disgrace! He wasn't primaried. He was primaried by somebody he won. You know, in Nebraska. That's a, that's that's the problem. Who knows why he wasn't primaried properly? With the whole, with the movement against him. This man is, the, is one of the biggest never Trumpers and he deserved everything. Oh, yeah. Regardless, so he, so he, Ben Sass, he didn't even vote for the president in 2020 and we care about his opinion in this, in this, in this impeachment. Honestly, he would, he would, impe- he would impeach him for, 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 for anything. He would, he would have, he would have voted to impeach him from the first day. In any case, it's why he didn't vote, you know, he didn't vote for impeachment last time because he knew that that would have, that would have run risk on, of his, of his reelection. He was smart. Now he's nothing to lose. But he didn't even vote for him. He didn't even vote for him. Scumbag. Ugh. Anyways, so getting back to this this issue. So you hear this point. This point is is that I'll, I'll go back one step because I, I I didn't play it, but I'll go back one step. There's something that they're, that they're claiming. Jamie Raskin is claiming called the January exception. Oh well, if the president does something a week before he's supposed to leave office, then you can't impeach him. So therefore, he can do anything. Well, first of all, unfortunately, many, 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 many. Uh, presidents have done lots of terrible things because they're about to leave office and they weren't impeached or even charged. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton did a lot of terrible things. He, he, he pardoned a lot of people that really didn't deserve to be pardoned. Obama was spying on, on the whole Trump campaign. So yeah, there are a lot of things people have done in the last weeks. But even putting that aside, even putting that aside, Dershowitz points out that no, people are subject. They are subject to criminal there are legal remedies. The, the feds can investigate him. They can indict him. That's not the purpose of impeachment. Impeachment is a very, very, very specific thing. And, you know, he says the word the president. What is what is the president? What is the president? Why does it not say uh, 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 president? What is the? The signifies something. That's the point. The signifies something. You don't use the word the, you know, in, in, in Talmudic term we have something called the the hey hayadia the hey hayadia that's a, that's 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 in 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 in, in gemara something called the hey hayadia but it, even in even in even in um law in in um which we call it in uh grammar the it, it definitive article you when you when you use the word the when you use the word the the is specific to something the is specific to something so it's we say we're saying we're saying the Referring to the president. It is used before a noun to define it as something specific. That is a definite, the, the definite article. The definite article. So the president is referring to the president. The president has to be sitting in office or, or 
he's not able to be impeached. That is not the remedy for impeachment. That is not the remedy for the president if he's not in pres- if he's not president. And you can't just vote that he's not able to run just because you now impeach him. In order to, it, it, it's part of like this. In order to impeach him, you have to be able to secure a conviction. If you can't convict, you can't impeach. Part of impeachment is conviction. And if the president is allowed, isn't, if you can't convict him because he's not president anymore, then you can't impeach him. This should be so simple. But not only, not only are you, is, 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 are you not allowed to make this argument? It is, would you be considered wrong? It is a frivolous argument, which is subject to disbarment or other disciplinary, disciplinary action. And 144 legal constitutional scholars have signed this letter that you cannot use it for the president's defense. What should this remind us of? What should this remind us of? Well, it should remind us of something very, very, very simple. It should remind us of when we played this week the clip. We played this week the clip of the doctor testifying in front of the Senate, Dr. Peter McCullough, McCullough, he was testifying in front of the Senate and he said that this idea that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous is itself dangerous. We're going to play that clip again because I also want to play it. I didn't play it. I didn't play it when I played it this week. I didn't play it in its entirety for everything. I didn't play it its entirety for, I, I there's another part that I wanted to play. So I'm going to replay it because it's, it's, it, it, that is the point here. When you hear these 144 legal constitutions, how can it be that 144 legal scholars got it wrong? And how could it be? And how could it be that all these doctors and these medical journals, how can it be that they got it wrong? How can it be? Maybe there's something guiding them that's not what's True. Maybe it's not their moral compass. Maybe there's something else guiding them. Maybe it's not as simple. Maybe it's not as simple as we make it as as they as they make it out to be. I'm gonna play this clip here. Failed us. This is not just uh, a government culpability and uh, malfeasance with respect to hydroxychloroquine. This is academic malfeasance. There were two fraudulent papers, one in the New England Journal of Medicine, one in Lancet, published by individuals interested in doing evil to the world with respect to a beneficial treatment of hydroxychloroquine. In an unprecedented manner, these two manuscripts were withdrawn after two weeks where they could scare the public and the world's physician audience. Since that time, there have been dozens of fraudulent... Reemphasize that. They were then withdrawn. They were withdrawn, and, and the New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet acknowledged that they were fraudulent papers. They were scare papers to scare people on hydroxychloroquine. Since that time, there's been dozens of pile-on uh, scare tactics in academics. This isn't the government. This is people in my field, in academic medicine, who are committing academic fraud. I reviewed a paper. I'm a cardiologist. I reviewed a paper that made it into the medical literature demonstrating that hydroxychloroquine causes a heart attack, that hydroxychloroquine causes a giant scar in the heart. And I can tell you, I'm at Baylor in Dallas. We have the world's most recognized cardiac pathology program 
in the world. Our senior examiner has held in, in, in his heart, his hand, in his hands, more human hearts than anybody in the history of mankind. I can tell you firsthand, hydroxychloroquine does not cause giant scars in the heart. So academic medicine is committing a fraud, is committing, uh, 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 a, a, I think, a crime against humanity. There must be a motivation behind this that's much bigger than just Democrat versus Republican. Would, would you, would... I, I am extremely concerned, honestly, about the the academic contribution to uh, 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 scare tactics uh, 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 in the world. Now, it's not working everywhere. In India, it's given first. Okay, so the first claim here, before we're going to break this up here quickly, but, but the first claim here is, just remember, there is something more evil at work than just pure politics. There's something more evil at work. But again, that doesn't mean the politicians aren't playing their role. There is something more evil at work. We know that. We see that. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? 144 legal scholars have all come out. So now if you argue this, if you argue this, so what are you saying? If you argue in favor of, 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 of First Amendment, so what are you saying? You're disagreeing with 144 legal scholars? Look at all these people. Look at all these doctors who've come out against hydroxychloroquine. That not only is it not, that it does, is it not efficacious, it's dangerous. Just remember, that was to me, that was to me the, 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 the giveaway. When you have people who know that it's not dangerous, when they claim that it's dangerous, why, why are they telling, why are they doing that? Why are they claiming it's dangerous? Why are they do, why are they claiming it's dangerous? That should tell all the doctors they're not going to take part in this charade because they know it's not dangerous. They might, they might agree it's not, it's not efficacious, but it's not dangerous. So what's the argument? So lots of people take it. Sometimes all you need to give people is a little placebo. Sometimes a placebo is gives them enough. Maybe, maybe, is it not possible that lots of people ended up in the hospital unnecessarily just because of fear? Listen to what Peter McCull- Dr. McCulloch says, and he proves, he proves how hydroxy actually does work. And he's testifying in front of the United States Senate. In India is such a crowded country. I've been there myself. They, their deaths per million population is a tiny fraction of America. If you're in what, Greece, what, right, is, isn't it 95 versus over 700? Yeah. So we have and, like, and they're using hydroxychloroquine. Right. We have nearly 800 million deaths, uh, 800 deaths per million population in the United States, and we're all spread out. In India, they're on top of each other. They have less than 100 deaths per million population. The leading doctor in India is willing to come testify. To, to the United States and tell you the reason why they have tons of COVID. It's spreading over like crazy, but they're treating it at home with hydroxychloroquine and other drugs. Remember, it's a multi-drug program, probably about four, four or so drugs plus supplements, and they've handled the infection. Greece, everyone's been traveled in Europe. Greece is not a third world country. First line, you're given hydroxychloroquine. Okay, we've missed the ball. There's 30 countries that have approved an oral version of remdesivir called favipiravir. 30 countries, including Japan. We, you know, every country that is actually having a reasonable public health response is treating this problem at home. Now, none of these drugs are a cure, but they allow the patient to get through the illness. Like myself, I missed 10 days off of work and I returned to the workforce. I didn't get in the hospital for four weeks. They allow people to stay at home and, and not go out and contaminate other people. My wife and I got it at the same time. And because we are treated at home, we were actually able to stay at home so we didn't contaminate other people. 
the current program that's supported by the minority witness and the National Institutes of Health and all government bodies is that patients go home, they get no help whatsoever, doctors are not supposed to treat them, they go out in a panic to urgent cares and ERs, contaminate more people, and then they're hospitalized and die. America has to wake up right here, right now. We are. There you go. The doctor said better than I can. Why? They go, they, they, they're, they're not given any treatment. They go out, they get contaminate people, infect people. I know. That's what we call unintended consequences with predictable inevitabilities. That's what we call it. It's, it's intended. That's the point. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They want, I know it's a, it's a terrible thing. It's one of the hardest things people don't understand is that there are interests out there of people who present themselves to be very, very righteous and they're evil. And it's a very hard thing that people have to, don't understand that people have died simply because it was beneficial to get the president out of office, for example. That's just one reason. There are many reasons why. This guy could have his billions reasons. This guy could have this. Everyone has their own reason. But people, they had to make this virus more lethal, more dangerous. How else are we going to now force vaccinations? And again, you've heard it from me before. I'm not worried about this vaccination. I know a lot of a lot of people who I... Uh, that I associate with today, that they do are, they are very, very rare. I get calls from people like, Ellie, I don't want to get the, my husband has to do this test. I don't want to do this test. What can you do? How can you, how can you avoid taking the test? Can you avoid, can you arrange something? All sorts of questions. The fact is, is that, the fact is, is that I am not worried necessarily about this particular vaccine, but I am worried about the precedent of forced vaccinations. We are not pets that their owners can just take them to the vet and get them spayed and neutered it is not how we as people are supposed to work it's not how we as people are supposed to operate and just in case you think i just you know i've checked it up a little just in case you think that the numbers in in um in india that maybe they're just not reporting. You know, people say that, Ellie, well, oh, India, they are just not reporting. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't n- match up with the numbers of lost life of deaths in India last five years. 2020 just didn't have the same numbers as you would have expected from a global pandemic. And again, hygiene in India is probably lower than America. India is probably more cramped than the average place in America, like Dr. McCulloch said. So all arguments are off the table are illegitimate. The only argument is, again, even if it doesn't work, is that it gives people a placebo. Again, there are two options. But when you say it's dangerous to take, what is that going to, t- what is that going to do? It's going to, it's going to fear, it's going to, it's going to frighten people. It's going to frighten people. And these are the same experts. And that is my point. The same impeachment charade that is taking place in the greatest deliberative body. Why didn't, why didn't, Roberts, he's not a friend of the president. Why didn't Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, why didn't he preside over the over the trial? Because he said he's not going to. He's not. This is this is unconstitutional. That's why he said I am not presiding over this trial because it's unconstitutional, and he is no fan of the president. The experts here, the experts here are just like the doctors. They are all. You can attribute to all sorts of things. Maybe they like their celebrity status. Maybe they maybe they are afraid of being overruled. Maybe, you know the the, uh, the implications. Of course, if they didn't do it, then there wouldn't be those implications. But it's not the point. Maybe they're afraid. There's all sorts of reasons why. But just understand, it's the exact same thing. Exact. You have these 
and, and Alan Dershowitz, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I probably would bet you, I, I would bet you that he probably would say, oh, well, hydroxychloroquine is, is dangerous just because the le- expert doctors have said it is. I have not heard him speak about hydroxy. I've heard him talk about vaccines. I have not heard him talk about hydroxy. But the, but the point is that even doctors, even, even lawyers who might agree with Alan Dershowitz, they wouldn't be able to say that, that hydroxy is not, hydroxy is, is not dangerous, even though, or that hydroxy works, even though they see the exact scenario play out. And that's the point here. We have to realize they are all operating at the same manual. Different means, maybe different reasons, different motivations, just different justifications, different rash, ra- excuse me, rationalizations. But the sheker, and there's no other word for that in English, the absolute deception is palpable. It's, it's real right in front of our very eyes. You know, they, 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 they tell us, they tell us there's only one form, there's only one form of, of, of incitement. There's only one form of, of incitement. Only one. There's no other form of incitement. Only the president, only the president can be guilty of incitement. There's nobody else who could be guilty of incitement. Even though, even though we know that there are other forms of incitement. There are other forms of incitement. There are other forms of incitement. We know that Maxine Waters. Remember Maxine Waters' form of incitement? She she attempted to incite. If the if you if you if you if you see the the president at a at a gasoline station, remember that quote? She attempted to incite. It's not as though it's only the president. Or how about Schumer? Remember Schumer? Remember Schumer's comments about about. Uh, Remember Schumer's comments about about the, uh, about the chief justices on the Supreme Court steps. Well, those 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 forms of incitement those are completely those are pre- completely protected. This is Maxine Waters. Push back on them. What does that mean? Push back on them. Can you explain to me what push back on them means? Sounds sounds to me like someone's promoting violence. Sounds to me like someone's promoting promoting violence. There's all sorts of all sorts of violent talk that is that isn't discussed by the media. This isn't discussed by the media. Only only select private talk is. Only a very specific a form of incitement can exist. Not all of it. This is Chuck Schumer. He's apologizing. Wednesday at an abortion rights rally on the steps of the court, Schumer saying this. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. What does that mean? Oh, that's, that's nothing, nothing. Nothing, not, not, not by nothing. That, that meant nothing. This deception, this deception, with his one speech, this isn't protected by the First Amendment. When the president says, walk peacefully and patriotically and protest, that's not protected. That's not protected. 
But when the president, but when, but when these, when these representatives, when they, you know, with all of the evil that they have perpetrated over the years, that, that, that's not even discussed. Nothing's wrong with that, with that. Who even used the word gasoline station? Come on. Who even used the word uh, disconnected elite? <sighs> this week's Pyre Show has a very interesting mitzvah. It's an essay. Really. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a positive commandment. The mitzvah is midvar sheker tirchak. I believe it's a positive commandment, or it's, yeah. It's midvar sheker tirchak. It's the only time that the Torah gives us a, a prophylactic. Normally, it's the sages, it's the, it's Chazal that institute gedarim, that institute a siyag, that institute a fence around a mitzvah, a prophylactic, something to prevent us from, from transgressing that avera, that mitzvah. There are many, 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 many instances. Moktzah is one such example. There are many instances where it's chazal. This, to my knowledge, is the only instance in the Torah where the Torah itself, how important is it for us to not speak sheker? Midvar sheker, tir Distance yourself from sheker. Shem is telling us that's how important it is. Michal Green, who I, I, I don't really know who he is at all. I mean, I've seen a couple of his videos. He was just fired. He was just fired. He lives in a, 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 a in a, in a, he was a, a Chabad rabbi in uh, Massachusetts. He was fired because of his position on everything that's going on. I'm not saying that every, every, I'm not saying that every part of his position is, that I agree with every single position he has. But, but, uh, the idea that what's going on around us is we have to distance ourselves from it. When you're a doctor and you know that it's not deadly, that this drug is not lethal and you participate in that, I know you might not think that it's, that it works. I know that. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But recognize that it's not, that it's, that it's checkered to say that it's dangerous. I get asked from people, what, what do I do? You know, I get stopped at the Mishtarah and they ask me where I'm going. I don't like lying. I tell people lying is not checkered. You have to distance yourself from the checkered. You're living your life. They've made you into, they've, they've forced you into, into lying. You don't want to lie? That's their problem. They've forced you into lying. You didn't do that to yourself. They did that. They've created this sheker. And it's permeating every single thing around us. And I, I, I bring up the American political scene because that's more of interest to me. I'm, I'm not interested in defending Bibi. Could I use this argument against Bibi? Yeah, probably. There's probably what to defend him too. I don't like him as much today, but I'm sure if I wanted to, there's probably, there's what to defend him too. Like, you know, I said a couple of days ago, I said that when they were, uh, when I, I remember the, I was reading about his, the allegation against him. Right, there was an allegation against him in um, a few years ago, before one of the elections, a number of years ago, where he uh, at least five years ago, where he didn't, you know, he had he had racked up this huge bill for all these different things that he'd ordered, you know, to like really, you think he knows what you think he knows what these things cost? You know, you're, you're going to charge him for fraud, you're going to charge him for corruption, and all these things. Honestly, there's plenty of what, but it's a, it is absolute checker. It is absolute checker, and we are complicit in it. We are complicit in it. We have to recognize it. We have to fight it at every single level. This impeachment is only just one but example of it.
That's been our show today. We hope you have a great day. We noticed that there is a big influx in listeners on the uh, different sites. I really would encourage some of you to send an email, realtalkisrael at gmail.com. Realtalkisrael at at gmail.com. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Let us know uh, which politics interests you. I'm Ellie Shapiro. This is The Morning Mix. And uh, we have a great Shabbos, a good week, a great weekend. And we hope to be with you again Sunday morning, please God. Have a great one. Bye for now.